And the disciples asked, one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. From the gospel according to St. Luke, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. It's so nice finally to land at St. Barnabas. I say land because I feel like a Paul in that writing to the saints of the church. I could say that I've heard so many good things going on at St. Barnabas. How you uphold the teachings and the zeal and the passion of your patron saint, Barnabas, and the zeal to preach the gospel to everybody around you and beyond your borders. I've also wanted to worship with two clergy I hold in very high esteem. Uh, Father Greg, I work with him at the airport. He's my boss as we minister to the travelers in the airport. If you've been there and you hear the announcement, it is us calling you to come and pray as you contemplate your journey. But also, I saw Father Andrew beginning at St. Vincent's where I serve, a young, energetic, zealous, and focused priest. One of those priests who you say, I know he's bigger than what he is, and soon one of these days, the world will get to know a bishop in him. That's a prayer I, I pray, not because I'm pampering him, because, but because I know a good priest when I find one. And the church needs such pious and spiritual leaders. We are in this season, which many people want to call ordinary season. But I want to start when in, I'm this season to remind you that actually this is not an ordinary season. It is the extraordinary season where the first part of the church year, we are learning God's love, the acts of God's love towards his people. And that goes on from Advent all the way to Ascension. At Ascension, his graduation followed Jesus Christ. He returns back to heaven, mission accomplished, work well done. Now you know everything to be holy beings on earth. And so the second part of the church here is us demonstrating what we learned from our Lord. How to live out God's love amongst God's people. And so that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you saw those who got the lesson right. They did all the assignments. They are getting the grade and they are acting out in the world. So that's not an ordinary time. Because the weak fall off, the strong, the tough keep going. And one of the things we are dealing with this morning, among the many aspects, we are reminded about being representatives of Christ in the world. Those who live out the Christian love they have learned from our Lord is prayer. Today, we are dealing with one of those big aspects of our Christian life, which is called prayer. 
one of the beautiful things about the lectionary we use is that if you get used to it, you can track down aspects which make you nail down what the Lord is talking about every Sunday. And looking at the first lesson, the second lesson, the psalm, and also the gospel, immediately you see that, aha, uh -huh, Father Karim is not making it up. The disciples are asking God, uh, they're asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. Many of us have many versions and understanding of prayer, but I would like to spend a few minutes this morning to engage us into understanding actually what many forms prayer can take. You've probably all heard about the acronym ACTS, which nails prayer as adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Those are all correct, but they are not everything about prayer. Today, we are learning about a new aspect of prayer, and that is contained in the Old Testament lesson. If you have never figured it out, the, 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 the text for today, Abraham engaging with God, is a form of a prayer. He was pleading for the people who were about to be destroyed. And so, pleading for them as a form of intercession, Lord, will you destroy if you find this number? And he goes down and down and down and down until he says, I'm overwhelming the holy God. His steps are ten, but he could have been even going down to say, if I'm the only one, Lord, will you destroy the city? And so, in that conversation, you learn that prayer actually is also a conversation. Prayer is a conversation between us human beings with our God. But before you take, you have a conversation with somebody, you must be acquainted with them. So the text requires us to check our acquaintance with God. Are you comfortable enough with God that you can engage in a conversation with him? Enough to make you feel like you're talking to your father, but you're not scared of talking to him. You know, there are two kinds of Christians. There are those Christians who accept Jesus Christ because they're scared of hell. <laughs> and those kind of Christians don't enjoy the true relationship with God because they're scared of touching this or touching this, lest they fall into trouble. But there are other kinds of Christians who become Christians because of God's love for them. A kind of prodigal son who knows father's love and goes to the father because he knows he's all loving. As Christians, when we are getting down to prayer, we must know that God our father seeks us to engage into conversation with him. And this conversation is grasping or seeking God's will for our lives. Prayer is not a moment when you go to give a list to God all the things you want to do and you get angry if he refuses to do them. Prayer, especially when you read what Jesus says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is when we are lifted into realms holy to engage in a conversation with God 
that by the end of the conversation, you appreciate whatever God's decision has made for your life, has made for your plea. And that's what happened to Abraham. And that's what is supposed to happen to us. Prayer is not where we got to list all the things. Prayer, we got to engage and seek God's will for our life and come to appreciate his determination whenever he makes one. Another common mistake or common experience we go through as we pray, and we'll be doing so in a few minutes, is saying the Lord's Prayer. One of the greatest prayers Jesus taught the disciples, and we've been saying it for thousands of years. One of those beautiful things when you say the Lord's Prayer, is like, gosh, I'm saying the words Jesus himself said. Peter, James, and John said, and lo and behold, I'm saying them. Talk about apostolic succession, talking about walking in the footsteps of the saints. The Lord's Prayer takes, there, takes us there, but it also nails that down in some aspects. Because when you read the Lord's Prayer, first of all, the first two words are a commitment. It's commitment to us being a family. Our Father re requires us in understanding those two words to know that you're not alone in your walk, in your church. So there is no individualistic senses in being in church once you say, Our Father, we are family, we are brothers to each other and sisters to each other. We have one Father, and therefore we have one accord. Therefore, those who are brothers and sisters must love each other. They must know there must never be divisions between them. Race is erased. Height is, doesn't matter. Gender is meaningless. All the divisions of life that keep us apart from one another, once you make that statement, you have erased them. God is our father. We are his children. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters to one another. And then we go into the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was meaning us as Christians always aspire to make God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom of God is not something we meet in church and live in church and go home and hang out and do whatever we want. Kingdom of God is that which we pray and mean when we're praying and aspire and do all we can to ensure that it stays with us. That when you're talking to your spouse, you're manifesting that kingdom of God come on earth. When you're relating with your co-workers, you're manifesting kingdom of God come on earth. Kingdom of God, a commitment we make in the Lord's Prayer to remind us that we are not mere beings. We are in God's realm, in God's kingdom, and our job is to make it come on earth and live like it is there. It's not right for Christians always to retire into corners and let the world roll around like there are no Christians around. 
Christians are supposed to speak first and they are supposed to speak last because they represent a God who was there, who is, and always will be. Don't be cowards of proclaiming God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray too, the third aspect of prayer, and one of the greatest expectations, I've been praying for so many years, God does not answer our prayer, and I give up on him, I hear such many times. But we are also reminded in scripture that God answers prayer, but his timing is not our timing. And so when you're praying and you're watching your watch, and when you're praying and you're watching the sun goes down, remember it is five o'clock somewhere. It's not always your time, therefore God is looking at everybody as that time. And therefore we must be mindful of that. But Genesis story also reminds us that as Christians we must have the heart to pray for others. That's what Abraham was doing. He was pleading for others. Christianity is not a solitude religion where it's all about yourself and going to heaven as if you'll be there by yourself. It'll be boring if you get there by yourself. And since we need each other, Abraham is teaching us to remember those other folks. You see in Genesis, Abraham doesn't, Lord, it's, if you find me, it's if you find 10 there, will you destroy? Let us therefore be serious and intentional when we are praying for people in Ukraine because those prayers reach God's heart and God can turn the hearts of Putin's because of a faithful Abraham at St. Barnabas. But there's also another aspect of the Lord's Prayer that I want to remind you and be careful next time you say it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the most incriminating statement we make every Sunday. Because what you're doing, you're telling God, Lord, use the measure I use on people to deal with me. So if you're judgmental and always exclusive of others and always not forgiving, you're actually telling God, I don't forgive, Lord, then don't forgive me. Who else is going to say it for you than yourself? You've just told God what you want him to do. But many times we seek God's forgiveness when we are not ready to forgive others. And then we wonder why God does not answer our prayer. And it's right there in the prayer. And we say it every Sunday. One of the most common prayers everybody knows. And they say it almost every day in homes. And every day, every moment you're saying it, you're telling God... Lord, use this measure to judge me. And then you yell and scream and cry what God doesn't answer your prayer when you have just told him, I don't do it, don't do it to me, Lord. Use the measurement I'm using to deal with me. The Lord's Prayer is one of those prayers packed in for all of us to consume. And you see how it unites us as God's children. It gathers us as Believers in the realms of glory here on earth. But it also incriminates, self-incriminating. You don't even need a neighbor. You're talking to God himself. 
and you're telling him he knows the inner feelings, he knows your words, he knows your actions, and he, you are lying to him, bless me, Lord, the way I bless others. And then you kick and scream and cry where God does not bless you. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus meant to teach us that we must always be careful. Think about it when we say it in a few minutes. Because if you don't mean it, you'd rather shut up. In conclusion, there are three aspects of prayer that I want to remind you that God answers prayer in three ways. God answers sometimes with a yes, and you, you pray, Lord, we need a child, and you get it. The woman gets pregnant, the baby is there, glory to God in the highest. So God answers prayer in yes, sometimes God says wait. But wait, like I said, we want that wait to be in our, on our clock and not on God's clock. Like that guy who, was, who asked, how, 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 how many, how many, how, a thousand years, and says in a moment, how long is a, a thousand years in heaven? He said, it's a moment. Then say, Lord, can you give me this? And say, wait a moment. So we don't want to wait. And because of that, we want God to do what we want. Christians, many Christians are those kinds of people who enjoy the freedom or the independence we have God, that God gave us. But they turn around and blame God whenever they are in trouble. If you enjoy the freedom in your relationship with God, they take credit and responsibility for your mistakes before God. You cannot have it both ways. And then thirdly, God answers prayer sometimes by saying no. And that's one of the, the answers many people have said, he refused to answer me, I hate the church, and I'll never go back. And that's where Paul is warning us wrong teachings and wrong philosophies in our lesson today. Because there are so many TV churches that will tell you that if, if, you, if you pray, God must answer. If he doesn't answer, it's, there's something wrong with your faith. But if you've been a Christian, you love Jesus, and you've been following him, when you say, God, I need this, God will deliver it. I remind people that God is not a robot who just acts whatever we want him to do. God determines what we want. Because he knows better than us. And each time I hear a TV preacher say, when God is not answering your prayer, there is something wrong with your faith. I take them to Gethsemane. And I tell them, let's read Gethsemane together. And when you read in the garden of Gethsemane, you find Jesus kneeling down, praying, the Bible says he prayed so much that his tears turned into blood. That's a lot of praying. And what was he saying? He was telling God, Father, let you 
take this cup away from me. I'm not ready to die. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And each time God said no. Now anybody who tells you that when he says no you don't have faith or he doesn't love you. Ask them about God's best love, his son. And he said no. But the story does not end there. Because sometimes God says no because he's preparing you for greater glory. Amen? Because if Jesus ran away from Gethsemane, we would have missed the greater glory of the resurrection. God can say no to your prayer because you're asking for this, I'm preparing this big one for you. And so when he says no, a good Christian says, Lord, you have said no. Prepare me, Lord, for my greater glory. Because it will come. God is not like us human beings to lie. When he says no, he means it. Because your greater glory is coming. Jesus' greater glory is what we celebrate today. That he endured that which was the cause of the celebration of the Old Testament. All those people celebrating the death of others. I'm done with him. We've finished him. That's what is befalling many dictators around the world. They know that when they kill you, they have done away with you. But Christians know that when we die, we're just transformed into new life, but still with Christ. And the only way for us to learn that, to understand and grasp it, was by Jesus himself going through it because God knew that at the end of the tunnel there will be resurrection. Sometimes we don't look at the end of the tunnel. We look here and then want God to also just look here. But God being eternal, he looks beyond us. And finally, it's about praying for the dead and lifting them to God. Many people will tell you, well, I don't believe in praying for the dead because they're done. They're not anything with God. They're gone. I remind such people that you cannot be a Christian and stand up in church and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty and then you go on to list the things God cannot do. Either God is almighty and he can do anything he wants. Or he's not anything and then we should stop bothering him. So when you get in those situations where you think it is very difficult. I mentioned the dead but we go through many diseases and so many disappointments in our lives. And you say well for cancer God cannot heal it. Wherefore, this God cannot. So you believe, you believe in God Almighty, but you're listing the things he cannot do. That's, uh, they call it, my English is so African. Is that a misnomer? Like you want, one, and then you answer. If we believe God and we pray to him, we must be intentional that God is Almighty. May the one who has led us this far give us the courage to keep going. Because even those things we are yet to see, and he means for us, 
he will, but at his time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.